Well, we're going to challenge that clap today with this message. <laughs> whatever. Are we willing to do whatever? The Lordship of Jesus Christ is the central part of every issue that arises in our life. Good morning to those of you who are watching online. We're so grateful that you are with us today. And uh, for whatever reason, not able to be here. Uh, if you're able to be here, we want you here. Donuts are good. The family love is good. Uh, and I want to say thank you for all of our uh, family that's here. We have a, a lot of family and our uh, new grandbaby is here, the wearing head, headset today. Had to get a picture of that. Um, so grateful for all of you that are here uh, today in a, on a hot summer day. This is, you can't find a better place to be. And I want to encourage you after we finish today to linger a little while, get to know one another, and um, grow as a family together in, in friendship. We are in the parables, and uh, I am back-to-back -back, uh, here because uh, the teaching team will be coming behind me on the next two, so I'm excited to hear from uh, them and what, they, what God has laid on their hearts. Uh, the schedule, uh, I had to switch with one of them uh, because of my schedule, things that are coming up on my schedule that I could not change, and grateful. Thank you for allowing that to take place. This parable series, as Michelle said, has been very good. Today we're looking at uh, the parable uh, that was uh, the tenants that were the wicked tenants to whom a vineyard was, they were allowed to work in, and uh, they didn't perform very well. So we're going to take a look at that. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 9. As Michelle said, God has been doing some really great things over the summer. And we want to encourage you not to miss a single service. I also will be remiss if I didn't say that some of our older family members, and not older in age, but they were with us earlier and then they departed and went out to uh, the coast and decided to live there. Robert and Eva, we're so glad that you came back. I love seeing their smiling faces uh, every time they come back. And just to mention Peach Cobbler, uh, the next time you come, that might be... <laughs> in the offing. Grateful for all of you guys who are here. You found your place on the, the 20th chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 9. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into a, a, another country for a long while. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third. And this one also they wounded and cast out. And when the owner of the vineyard, uh, then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. 
And they, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone that falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Heavenly Father, we come to you asking you to bring to life, Lord, for us, the truths of this passage that are representative of issues of our life and our day. Let us understand what it meant in the time and in the season that it was written and to the people to whom it was told. But also let us understand how it applies to us today and what needs to be done in our own lives, Lord, and what we need to reckon with in these moments together. And we're going to give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. I've said this before, and often it, uh, you know, it is so very important to understand the audience of the parable in order to gather the, the true meaning of the parable. I've used the example before, well, again, that uh, the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal, which we heard a few weeks ago uh, beautifully by one of our teaching team members. Uh, the, the audience for that parable uh, is four groups of people, but they fit into two groups. So the, the audience was made up of religious group, the Pharisees and the scribes, and, and then the, what they called the publicans and the sinners. And the publicans and the sinners, out, not church, unchurched, and the scribes and the Pharisees churched, right? And so it's important to understand that audience because as Jesus opens the parable, he opens it interestingly enough to draw in that audience, right? So there's, there's basically two groups of people, the unchurched and the church. And so Jesus says, here's a story about a man who had two sons, right? So he gives each one of them a hero. The people who were the churched group, they loved the older son, right? He stayed home. He did what he should do. He obeyed his father. You know, he, he was there for him. He did exactly what a good son would be required to do in that day and in that time period. This is an example of a good son. And then, of course, those who were unchurched and, and living kind of rebellious lives, they had the, the hero, the younger one, right? He took what belonged to him. You know, he deserves it. You should go out and live life. Life is short. You should experience it and, and get all the gusto you can out of life because it's going to be gone. So go out and do what you need to be doing. And so he did. He went out, right? And so each of them had a hero and, uh, in that story. So it was, it's, it's pivotal in many of these cases, for us to understand the audience. In this particular instance, uh, it's, the setup for this begins earlier in the chapter. The audience uh, appears you know, uh, for us, and, and the, uh, I think what is important as well is, is that uh, Jesus didn't come to tell this original audience a parable. It says here in, in verse 1, it says, Now it happened on one of the days as he taught 
the people in the temple and preached the gospel. So he's teaching and he's preaching the gospel. He's teaching scripture. He's preaching the gospel. And it says what happened was that the chief priests and scribes together with the elders confronted him. Jesus came to teach and to preach. They came to confront. And it is the confrontation that provokes the telling of this particular parable. Now, their question was intended to discredit the authority of Jesus to even be there, to teach and to preach. And they began by asking, tell us, uh, early in the passage there, tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who gave you this authority? Now, the question that uh, first establishes uh, if, you, if you're looking at this, you know, it first is, is attempted to establish their own perceived uh, spiritual authority, right? If I'm going to question you about your authority, then, then I am saying, I'm the authority, who are you, right? And so the first thing there is, you know, tell us, they said. That they begin it by saying, tell us. Why should I tell you? <laughs> Why is it important? And uh, it was as if the question, you know, that they were saying is it all... Uh, you know, this, we're asking you the question because uh, all authority resides within us. We need to see your credentials, Jesus. <laughs> we don't remember, like, seeing you at, uh, you know, we didn't graduate with you at rabbinical school. We, um, you're not wearing the appropriate uh, priestly robes. And so uh, the, we need to know by what authority you're coming. What authority are you doing the things and who gave you the authority to do these things? And it's interesting that Jesus immediately turns the tables on them, right? And this is good for us to understand, uh, those of you who uh, would, would be good apologists or defenders of the faith, is what an apologist is, a defender of the faith. So you're not always at the mercy of the questioner. I don't believe in God. You know, uh, someone might say, and they, they might say to you, do you honestly believe that, you know, all of the animals climbed on the ark two by two, male and female. I can't believe that stuff, right? And so many of us would feel compelled to try to answer their questions, rationalize and help them, you know, understand God. And here we are in our, you know, trying to reason God down to man, yeah. Like trying to explain, you know, let me, let me just, just help you out uh, as if I really understand God. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. Michelle and I were watching a Francis Chan video not long ago, and he was just laying some stuff out there for the people, you know, about what's happening in current culture and society, and he says, do you want to know what I think about it? And everybody's like, yes, you know, this is Francis Chan. Let me get my notepad out and see what he wants to think. He says, you don't want to know what I think about it. You want to know what God thinks about it, because I'm corrupt, and my ideas and my thoughts are in no way uh, you know, completely connected to what God is doing. I'm at the mercy of God always. I'm always seeking His counsel. I know He never comes as seeking mine, right? He never wants to edit the word by listening to what I have to say. He is the authority. So, what He does here is key for us to understand uh, if we are going to defend the faith. We are not always at the mercy of people. We could say, I'll answer your question, but first, answer mine. And that's exactly what Jesus did here. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he, he's understanding 
First of all, now a good Christian apologist does this with somebody who's not a seeker, but somebody who's already represented themselves as there's no intent. I am not here to learn. I am not here to listen to you. I'm here to correct you, right? And Jesus had a lot to say about that uh, in the New Testament. He sent his disciples out and he said, if they won't hear, they won't hear the gospel, they won't listen to the gospel, you dust, take the dust off of your shoes and, and you go on to the next place. You don't tarry there and try to convince uh, people who are bent on, on trying to convince you and destroy the message that I've given to you. You move on. A presentation of the gospel is enough. Present it to them. If they're not willing to listen, move on. He, he used the example, in one case, you're casting your pearls before swine. You know, pigs do not appreciate pearls. <laughs> they have no idea how valuable they are. They're going to try to eat them, right? And, and uh, you know, so we, we sometimes are wrestling with a pig to, to try to put some lipstick on them, right? It's, uh, they're, they're, it's useless, and, and we need to recognize that, and Jesus did in this instance. These people were not there to learn. They were not there to listen, and so he reverses and says, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you can answer my question, then I will answer yours. But he answered them and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, and you answer me, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Uh, it's a perplexing question for them. It says, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the Pharisees and the scribes, now the religious group. They reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they were persuaded that John, the people were persuaded that John was a prophet. And, and so they answered uh, that they did not know where it came from. Well, we don't know where he came from. We don't know if he, you know, we have no idea. And so Jesus said to them, well, neither can I tell you by what authority I do these things, right? I'm moving on. <laughs> I was preaching and teaching. There were people here that were interested in that. And we're going to move on from here. The Pharisees were so eager to discredit Jesus, it prompted this parable, which continued in teaching and preaching to the people, but it addressed them uh, sternly and strongly. And you can see by the end of the story, they really didn't like it, did they? <laughs> now, the fundamental question that not only these Jew leaders, Jewish leaders, uh, also, you know, that who came to hear the parable needed to answer but it is the fundamental question that all of us need to answer. It's in this parable. And that question is, whose vineyard is it? Who owns the vineyard? And that question is fundamental to us and keeping that in mind as we progress uh, in looking at this parable. The, the answer to that question for each one of us individually is, is going to determine how we're going to live going forward. Whose vineyard is this, or who owns the vineyard, will determine how you and I are going to live our lives day to day. Now, since God owns the vineyard, we understand as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, then we must live in accountability to him. To understand this parable, let's first identify the characters of the parable, okay? The owner of the vineyard, then, is God. God is the owner of the vineyard. The vineyard itself is Israel. It's representative uh, in our day of all of us, all that we've been engrafted in. And so we're a part of that as well. 
as you and I are reading this, it's us, the vineyard. And tenants and the farmers um, that uh, are the religious leaders of Israel and the servant of the, uh, and the owner, the prophets, and then the son, of course, uh, of the owner is Jesus Christ. So now that we understand what all the, the meaning of the characters in this parable were for that day and that time, let's progress forward. When they, when they heard this parable, Jesus' audience uh, would have immediately thought to themselves about Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I have a vineyard. And I have taken the time to fence this vineyard in. And I've gone in and I've taken out all of the stones and I've made a place to plant this vineyard. And then he talks about the rebellion that was taking place there. I can read it to you out of uh, Isaiah chapter 5. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, O men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not done to it? I've given everything for my vineyard. It belongs to me. It is expected to bring forth fruit. Jesus shows uh, that he expects fruit from his vineyard, and he emphasizes this. He waits with patience. He works with patience uh, in, in, in the vineyard, and uh, there's, there's an expectation that, that he, is, he wants fruit from this. These are uh, one, the first of four things that we're going to notice about this particular story that are in relation to who God is and God's people. So first of all, he expects fruit from his vineyard. The parable reveals this. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit from the vineyard. There was an expectation. He didn't send an early warning signal to say, how has it been? Have the rains been good? You know, do you guys have any fruit? I need to go back and tell the master. There's an expectation. I planted the vineyard and there's going to be fruit. I need to go and gather from it. Now, we would misunderstand this parable if we, we thought it in the sense of, of the tenant farmers as poor sharecroppers who uh, were being abused and, and there was there were over some demanding power or uh, landlord over the, the, the particular uh, vineyard here. But rather, it, it, it was a great privilege in this day what, what took place for these particular tenants. They didn't plant the vineyard. It says in the beginning of it that uh, the master planted the vineyard. Basically, what they were caretakers of this vineyard, they were getting paid to go in and weed it from time to time, water it when necessary, and just make sure that it was moving along as it should. Maybe put some stakes in place if it, it needed, you know, the vines are growing up and they need to lean against something. So this, this was a, a great privilege in this day and this hour that was afforded to these tenants. They didn't have to plan it. All they had to do was, was kind of work in it. And so, first of all, he's saying, I expect fruit. Go and, and, and find the fruit and bring it back. Show me examples of that fruit. The second thing that we see in this parable is that God gives us ample opportunities to, to submit to his authority. Ample opportunities to submit to his authority. I just want to remind you again what we read a moment ago. Uh, the tenants beat him, the first servant that came. He sends one. And so he sent, uh, and they sent him away empty, so he sends another. Right? And, and remember, these, these servants are like the, the prophets. They keep coming. They never stop. The people weren't always happy to see them. 
You know, Jeremiah was one of those. Oh, who? You know, one of the, uh, the kings uh, said, why is he that troubleth Israel coming into my court? <laughs> well, this is the truth teller. You know, you've been lying to yourself, and God has a word, and he's sending it through the prophet, and he's telling the truth. So I would, I would really heed and listen to him. Uh, but they didn't. They beat the prophets. They imprisoned them. They, they killed uh, the prophets. Uh, so here it is, the second one. He sends a second servant. But they also beat him and treated him shamefully and, and sent him away empty-handed. And so he sent a third. Sent a third, another, another one. Ample opportunity to surrender to authority. And finally he says, you know, they're not listening to the prophets. I want to send my only son. My only son. And, 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 and they will listen to him. I want to send my beloved son and perhaps they will respect him. And of course, we know what happens in this story. Not one time did God send a messenger to them. Not twice, not three times. But then God came himself to the vineyard. God came himself to the vineyard. And not only did they not yield to the authority of God, it says they rejected and beat his servants. Right? They murdered his only son. They took what belonged to the master of the field. They usurped the authority. God had given them ample authority to submit to the authority of, of the lordship of, of the one who owned the vineyard. And they usurped that authority and did not respect it. The third thing that we find in this parable is that God will judge those who reject him. And, and this is so pivotal in this story. He says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He's asking the crowd. You know, the pause, it's kind of one of those, you know, you're not supposed to answer out loud questions. It's rhetorical. You know, think about it in your mind. What do you think God's going to do to them after they killed three of his uh, servants that he sent, and now the, the Lord of the vineyard, what's he going to do to them because they sent, he sent his only son, and they killed him too? What's going to happen? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And I thought, you know, one of the pivotal things there is like, surely not. The people are just like, you know, really not. He looks them straight in the eyes and tells them, surely yes. <laughs> Speaking as one who has authority. I was going through that this week, you know, in, uh, in, the, in the Gospels. How many times, and it's just, just randomly looking, you know, at the, at the end of, of uh, the book of Matthew, and it's talking about uh, Jesus, you know, his, his authority. All authority is given to me, he tells them. And then, and then it starts up in, in uh, you know, uh, Luke, uh, uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark. It starts up in Mark again. When you start reading it in Mark, it's like the first chapter. He says the, the people marveled because he spoke as one who had authority. And then, and, then, uh, and then they said that uh, you keep on reading in Mark, and Mark talks a lot about little devils, you know, and, and demons and things like this and, and, and people. We probably don't talk about it enough in church and demonic activity and things that are going and stirring up people. And, uh, you know, it, uh, I heard a minister years ago say, you know, we, we argue as Christians, you know, is, 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 are people, can Christians be demonically possessed or oppressed? And... Uh, it's, it's irrelevant to spend time on those kind of arguments because uh, the, the issue really isn't, is he inside or outside? The issue is, I want to be free. Yes. I want to be free. You know, I don't want to be bound. And we can be so oppressed in our minds that we can, we can be uh, controlled in a sense 
driven into depression, driven into activities that uh, are destructive to our lives because the, the enemy's plans kill, steal, and destroy. But in, in Mark, I, I digress a little bit. In Mark, he's talking about all these demonic activities. And even the demons go, oh, this is the Lord. And, 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 and he, we recognize this authority. Can we go to the pigs? Can we, can we hide? Can we do something else other than be in your presence? And, and even the, the devil is recognizing the authority of God more than the common person <coughs> is recognizing it. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, echoes what he says uh, later in this passage. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright, and just is he. Deserving of our surrender to his lordship over our lives. The fourth thing that God uh, is, is saying through this passage to us and revealing about us and, uh, and about him is that God rules over all and pride will be broken. Yeah. He says everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. That this is pivotal for us in understanding the authority of God over the planet and over everything in the universe, okay? So what, what I want to say about this is that the decision of a person to choose not to believe God or follow the path that God has for his or her life, the choice of someone to say, he's not Lord over me, is, is, is a, a, a useless voice echoing out. He is over you. Even if you don't want him over you, he's over you. He is God and there's none beside him. He is God and there's none in front of him. He is God over all of the universe. He speaks and everyone obeys. The end of the book, if you want to cheat and go forward into Revelations, it says every knee. There's going to be a resurrection. You know, how many of you have read about Hitler? You're going to get to meet him. There's going to be a, a resurrection of the dead. And when they rise up out of the graves and they stand before the throne of judgment, you don't want to be there. You want to make things right right now. You don't want to be at that place of being judged. Every knee will bow. The most ardent person who, who is, is anti-Christ, and against religion will bow in the presence of the mighty God who rules the universe. Revelations really in the opening books uh, begins to tell us about the unveiling of the scroll and there's not one found worthy you know, to loosen the seals except the lamb who comes walking in and looking at the, the English version says, you know, a lamb bearing the fresh marks of slaughter just straight from the cross right to the scroll and beginning to peel off the seals and all these things begin to happen, trumpet sounding, every seal, there's some kind of judgment that's coming down on the earth as he begins to peel these things back. But we don't often give thought to what in the world is that document about? How come there is so much stuff going on just to get that document opened up? Seven seals that have to be broken and unrolled. Well, when he gets to the, to the reading of that, uh, that, what's on that scroll in chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and God. I'm ruler over all of it. This is the deed and the title. 
I've just unrolled it all. I'm going to evict the one who is the prince of the power of the air, who has convinced many that he owns the earth, has moved them away from me. I'm going to show him it's been blood-bought. It's my vineyard. I own it, and I'm taking authority and control over it. Hallelujah. God rules over all, and pride is going to be broken. And it doesn't matter whether the person believes that they are ruled over by God or not. Everyone means everyone. Those who go to church, those who think church is a religious trap or a crutch, those who believe in God and those who believe there is no God, those who believe God's truth is, is His Word, and those who believe truth is relevant to everybody and my truth might be different than your truth, God rules over every one of them. It doesn't matter what their minds think or what they profess or what they write down, God rules over every one of them. It's like a dog on a leash, you have an owner. <laughs> Someone's in charge and, 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 and is in, in rule over all of the universe and it doesn't matter how loud you bark, there is one who's in charge. It is very quiet in here today. We used to sing the old church uh, chorus uh, when I was growing up, and, and uh, again, you know, um, not, uh, you know, wordy, uh, it, it had, you know, the chorus part of it just had three words, our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns, four stanzas of our God reigns. And it was just a reminder to us who are coming together in worship service to remember that, that he reigns, he rules over all. Pride is broken in his presence. And as we would continue to sing those words over and over again, the pride in our own lives where we have tried to rise up in authority against God, where he said, yes, you can control this, but you can't control that. Yes, God, I surrender this to you. I'm going to keep this. And, and we have this idea, I love what Adeline was saying, you know, that she came to that understanding that whatever, everything belongs to God. We're stewards of everything, owners of nothing. There's no U-Hauls down at the gravesite. You know, we have all, uh, we enjoy what we have for this short season, and then it's, it belongs to whoever's behind us, right? The scribes and the, and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. When we think about those who have been rejecting the authority of Christ over their lives, when we sit down long enough to kind of think about that, what, what does that person look like? I, I, I believe we, we don't think about people that go to church. You know, we have, uh, we have a mental image. We don't think about spiritual leaders. You know, some of, our, some of our great spiritual leaders, we don't think about them as, as the people that we would categorize as rejecting the authority of Jesus Christ over their lives. We, we don't give thought to that. We don't, we don't think about that today. So we are also given often not to think about ourselves when we're thinking about those who reject authority. We, we uh, have this mental image in our minds about what people look like that are rejecting God's authority. They're angry people, you know, they're so, you know, they're bitter people, they're, 
you know, um, rejecting God. You will not rule over me. And, you know, instant images come up in our mind of what these people look like, historical figures, uh, maybe people in our day, maybe a, a co-worker that you have. <laughs> there's, there's mental pictures that we get. But can I take a moment to remind you of what prompted Jesus to tell this parable in the first place? Now, it happened on those days that he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders, confronted him. Jesus' objective that day was to preach and teach the gospel to those who were following him and caught up in all the wonders of what was going on with the miraculous uh, life of Jesus, touching those who were sick and healing them and all the things that were taking place. They were thronged around him to hear what he would have to say and to gather some wisdom and understanding. But isn't it an interesting twist that the people confronting him should have been the, the crowd following him? The religious crowd was confronting him. So I challenge our thinking about who's rejecting the authority of God? That we might take an internal look and see that maybe I'm rejecting God's authority in my life. Maybe there's an area of my life where I'm not submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over my marriage, over my finances, over my dating life, over my children, over the mission that God's given me, answering his call upon my life to move forward, over his commands to me, speaking to me about people that he's placed in my life to share the good news with them, to teach them, to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where I have kind of capped it and said, you know, uh, I'm not going to do that. We need to get a good look at who really is rejecting the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it often there are areas in our own lives that that's happening. In us as Christians, in us as followers of Jesus Christ, in us who believe the word of God is truth, that we have parsed out sections that we say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to be obedient. I'm not going to do what you asked me to do. Adeline, uh, you know, expressed being so moved by a coming Holy Spirit moment, not necessarily me, but just a Holy Spirit moment where where she heard... Um, that truth, whatever. It's Mary, you know, with, with all these disciples and, and they're all out of wine for the wedding feast and, and uh, they're sitting around a bunch of pots of water and, and uh, you know, or just empty pots, really, at that point. And, and she, she says, whatever he tells you to do. And he says, go fill them up with water. And you know how foolish that, that must be. There are some things that God says to us that just seem so foolish, Right. To go fill this up with water. We need wine, Jesus. These, you know, these, these people have a water pitcher at their table. It's the wine that's needed right now. And this is this looks dumb. Like if somebody comes up and asks you what you're doing, <laughs> getting some wine. <laughs> no, you're not. That's water. How foolish it must have been for, you know, Noah standing outside hammering away on the ark. You know, they'd never seen rain. Never seen rain on the earth. How did the fuel, how did it get watered? Well, the Bible says that the dew rose up 
at, at night, water tables. But a good, uh, interesting thing, they're doing some work along the front of our uh, church here. They're putting in new water pipes. Good news is when they finish that, they're going to put in a new road. Hopefully it'll be uh, really nice. But they dug these holes, you know, to find uh, water. Uh, a couple of times they hit water <laughs> inadvertently. They also hit a power line, uh, some neat things. But sometimes they were just digging these holes for the new pipe. And I came in, I was talking to the, to the guy that was uh, the lead over the construction crew and one morning, and there was this beautiful blue water in this hole. And I thought they had hit something again, you know. And I said, oh, no, you know, you guys hit a water pipe or something? He goes, oh, no. He said, this is groundwater. And he said, uh, we dig the hole, and it just fills up. And it reminds you of like, you know, I started thinking immediately about how the earth was watered, you know, early on. And that it would rise up and it would water the things that were necessary. But they're about to see rain. <laughs> and Noah's out there like hammered away, you know, that we've never seen. It's, you know, we don't know how that's going to happen, you know. And uh, the things that God asks us to do in obedience that we might say it's foolishness. Or I can't do that, or I don't see myself as a talker, or you know nobody will listen to me, and and uh, Moses had all kinds of excuses, right, for God, like you know I can't talk in front of people. He said, "Well, I'll give you, I'll give you Aaron." Well, I don't, I don't. How are they going to know I have any authority? Throw your rod down, turns it into a snake, pick it back up. Well, that's nice, but you know, had all these excuses that <laughs> you know we have, and God's just saying, "Whatever, whatever I ask you to do, I want you to do." Because I am Lord over all. I'm, I have all authority over all the vineyard. Don't get discouraged when you see what's happening in our world today. You read the newspapers, you watch the news. God is still in charge. Nobody has rocked him on his throne. Oh, you know, look what so-and-so is doing. And look what, you know, the Congress is doing. And oh, no, God, you know. <laughs> it's like, I'm still in charge. And at the appropriate time, my son's coming back. We're going to show the deed to the, to the whole vineyard. We own it all. And we're going to reclaim everyone. 